talking about the four signs of spiritual life. Let's review in terms of what they are. Authenticity is first. The ability to say what's to see what's real, and then to say what's real. And next is confidence. The ability to be still before God and to speak freely with God. A, C, then T is the next. T is transformation. The ability to become more gentle and to become less judgmental. A, C, T, S, strength. Capacity to know his love and to show his love. We begin with authenticity because hypocrisy is, in Jesus' indication, spiritual cancer. Look what he says, Luke chapter 12, verse 1. It's in the sheet in your worship folder. Jesus says, be on your guard against the yeast of the Pharisees, which is hypocrisy. And if there was a group that Jesus butted heads with more than anyone, it was the Pharisees. And so, which leads us to ask the question, why would that be? They were a very devout group of people. And that's what's important to know. We tend to put a black hat on the Pharisees, but they were devout. And they took their spirituality very seriously. And then, which leads us to a question, what was it about them that Jesus had such a problem with? If they were so devout, if they memorized the Old Testament of the Bible, if they fasted a hundred days a year, if they traveled over land and sea to win a single convert, if they prayed three times a day, if they gave a tenth of everything that they had and gifts to the poor, what in the world could possibly cause Jesus to have an issue with Individuals like this, and he answers the question, it is hypocrisy. He pinpoints hypocrisy as the Pharisees' root problem and then as the thing that he most noticed about them. Is hypocrisy really that much of a problem? Is Jesus being a little bit sensitive? Um, hypocrisy is that much of a problem spiritually. I guess a couple reasons why, and just to review, uh, God doesn't judge by how things look. He judges by thoughts and attitudes. Thoughts are the thoughts that we have about God. Attitudes are our responses to God based on the thoughts we have about him. The problem is that when how things look is what matters, how things really are never gets dealt with. And that's what God judges, not how things look, how things really are. And when how things look is all that matters, what God judges never gets dealt with. Uh, a second reason is not only because hypocrisy moves the focus of judgment out of reach, but hypocrisy is highly infectious. That's why Jesus compares it to yeast. It's infectious, and therefore it destroys not just individuals, but it spreads like an infection, like a virus. We catch colds. How many of you have a cold? How many of you are fighting a cold? I'm just on the tail end of it. It comes from contact with people, spreads from one person to another. Somebody sneezes, and you touch their hand, and then you brush your hand to your face, or 
somebody doesn't cover their mouth and you catch the germ and the germ goes and you get it and give it to somebody else. That's what hypocrisy is like. It spreads. Highly infectious. It doesn't just do its work in one individual. It spreads from that individual to another individual, from that individual to another individual. Highly infectious, very dangerous. And that's why Jesus has such an issue with it. And it's why authenticity and confidence are so critical. Once authenticity allows us to see what's real and to say what's real, then confidence allows us to, with those things in our hands, not just the nice things and the bad things behind our back, but everything in our hands, to come before God and to be still before Him and speak freely with Him. But confidence says, be still before God. Look what it says in your worship folder. There's a verse from Psalm 46 that says, Be still and know that I am God. I will be exalted among the nations. I will be exalted in the earth. Be still, it comes from a Hebrew word. You're going to learn two words today. One's Hebrew and one's Greek. The Hebrew word will help us to understand be still. The Greek word will help us to understand speak freely. Let's take the Hebrew word first. The Old Testament was written in Hebrew. And that's why the word we look at will be a Hebrew word. It's the word Rafa. Say that with me. Rafa. You're speaking Hebrew to me. That's wonderful. I guess. I'm not sure if it's wonderful. Uh, here's, what, here's what Rafa is. Okay, I want you to take your hands. Take your arms. Let your arms, and this feels weird. Feels weird. Let your arms hang limp at your side. Go ahead. Let you Try that. Let your hands hang limp. This feels weird, doesn't it? We're not used to doing this, letting our hands hang limp at our side. Okay, you can stop because I know it feels weird. We're used to doing something with our hands. We're used to dialing a phone or writing a note or clutching a note or holding something. Not to hold something, not to put our hands in, but just to let them hang limp is... It's something that's not very common. And as respect, it says, be still, Rafa. Let your hands hang limp by your side and know that I am God. I will be exalted in the nations and I will be exalted in the earth. There's two reasons why you Rafa. One is because there's no way to defend yourself. And the other is because there's no need. What happened when Israel was faced in battle with armies far bigger than themselves, what they would do is they would do what you and I would probably do if we were, there was an army massed around us. We have no weapons. We'd just go, we're done for and because there's no way to defend ourselves. That's one reason you're off of. Now, let's say there was an army, and but what we knew on the other side of the building, there was a superior army. And we would let our arms hang limp at our side, not because there was no way to defend ourselves, because there's no need. <laughs> we're, we're covered. And that's the same thing with God. He says, Rafa, Rafa, be still. Let your hands hang limp at your side. I know about your checkbook. I know about your social calendar. 
I know about your job. Let your hands hang limp at your side. I know about your relationship. I know about your life. Let your arms hang limp at your side. Not because there's no way to defend yourself, but because there's no need. God says, I will be exalted in the nations, and I will be exalted in the earth. When we don't have what we want to have, and we want, when we don't do what we want to do, and when we don't feel what we want to feel, we take action. You know what Hot Wheels cars are? Remember Hot Wheels cars are? You remember the one you zing, zing, zing? You know those ones? And those cars hit the ground running. You know, you put the car down, and that's what feelings are like. Feelings are like Hot Wheels cars. And when feelings hit our minds, they don't just stay there. They drag us into action. I need to do this to get rid of this feeling, or I need to do this to keep these feelings. Feelings are like Hot Wheels cars. And um, what's interesting is, is what feelings say to us is this. Don't just sit there. Do something. Don't just sit there. Do something, especially if you're threatened or somebody you love is threatened. Feelings say, don't just sit there, do something. You know what God says? <laughs> don't just do something, sit there. Let your arms hang limp at your side. I know. And what God knows, someone you might be threatened or someone you love might be threatened, and action will need to be taken. And action will need to be taken. And options will need to be discussed. Not first. First, what do you need to do? Shh. Be still. Let your arms hang limp at your side. Connection. Then correction. Then we'll look at the calendar. Then we'll dial the phone. Then we'll make the plan. Connection. First, be still before God. Let your hands hang limp and be still because you're in good hands. Look what it says. The Lord himself goes before you, Deuteronomy 31.8, and will be with you. He will never leave you nor forsake you. Why can we let our arms hang limp? Because you're not alone. The Lord himself will go with you. He will be with you, and he will never leave you. He will never leave you means he will never. You know what the word leave means? Guess what? What's that word you learn? What's the word? Rafa. He will never rafa you. You know why you can let your hands go limp? Because God will never let his hands go limp. God will always be active. He will be defending. He will be negotiating. He will be working. The reason why we can let our hands go limp is because he won't. He will never fail us. He will never forsake us. That's why he says, shh, I got this. Now, there's some directions I'm going to give you. There's some things you're going to need to do. But the first thing you need to do is, in Hebrew, what is it? Rafa. That's first. Rafa. Let your hands go limp. Be still before God. You're in good hands. What it says in Hebrews 13, it brings up these same things, Hebrews 13, 5 and 6. Keep your lives free from the love of money and be content with what you have. Because God has said, never will I leave you. Never will I forsake you. So we say with confidence, the Lord is my helper. 
I will not be afraid. What can man do to me? In Greek, now this is Greek. We're not going to learn that word yet. We learned one Hebrew word, Rapha, to be still. We'll learn the other Greek word, but I'm going to tell you about what these images are. I will never leave you in Greek. It's the word is literally to untie, to untie. I will never untie you. Picture yourself as a boat tied up to a mooring on a dangerous river. And if that boat gets untied from the mooring, it will be cast adrift. And if the river is dangerous, you're in danger. When it says, I will never leave you, God says, I will never untie you. I will never cast you adrift. I will never let you get pulled downstream by the chance of fate or by circumstances. I will never untie you. That's I will never leave in Greek. I will never forsake. Uh, there's some Marines here. We have one. There's several I know that are in the congregation. Semper Fi. Semper Fi, my understanding, is Semper Fidelis, always faithful. A Marine will not leave another Marine on the field of battle. Is that correct? A Marine will never leave another Marine on the field of battle. He would never leave him behind. That's what forsake means to leave somebody behind. God says, I will never untie you. And I will never leave you behind. You will never find yourself careening out of control. And you will never find yourself in a situation where you've been abandoned. I'll never abandon you. Um, You know what? It's easy to live life in a skid, isn't it? Life is fast. To overcorrect in one direction. Have you gone down a road that's icy. You overcorrect in this way and it fishtails and you overcorrect in this way and it fishtails and you have to fight the urge to overcorrect when it's icy. It's very difficult. Life can feel like that. Overcorrect in this direction and we skid. Overcorrect and life is a continual skid. Our car careening out of control. You know what being still is like? It's like depressing the clutch, which disengages the drivetrain. You know why you press the clutch? So you can shift gears. Life causes us not to be able to shift gears sometimes. Life goes awfully fast, doesn't it? Awfully fast. You might feel like you're careening out of control, one crisis after another. You never get to let your hands hang limp at your side. Always calling someone, always writing someone, always tuning something in. To be still means to put it on pause for a second. To be still doesn't mean silence your desires. Sometimes when we think about what God wants, we think, well, I'm just going to make myself do it. That's not what... Being still means the reason why we're still before God is so that we can speak freely with him. Uh, look what it says in Hebrews, a pretty long section, Hebrews 4, 12 through 16. Only my favorite section in the Bible. Um, I really like this. For the word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit, joints and marrow. It judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. 
Therefore, since we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens, Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. For we do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses, but we have one who has been tempted in every way, just as we are, yet was without sin. Let us then approach the throne of grace with confidence, so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Every high priest is selected from among men and is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifices for sins. He is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. I'm going to break it down. It says, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess in verse 14. Literally what that means, take hold of your faith and don't let it go. Or in a word, let your walk match your talk. You made a confession about this is who I want to be. This is how I want to live my life. I want to live for God. I want to be this for God or that for God. And, and what it's saying, the things that you say, let that be the things that you do. That is the what. That's the what. And a lot of us would embrace a what like that. I want to be the person God wants me to be. And then there's another question. If you've got a good what, but you have a lousy how, a good what, a bad how, is a bad deal. If you've got a good what, a good what is no good without a good how. Would you agree with me? We've got to have a how. And there is a how here. The Bible does have a how. It doesn't just tell us what to do. It tells us how to do it. Look what it says. Approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us in our time of need. Would you agree with me that the thing that turns a, a what into a reality is God giving us mercy and grace to help us in our time of need? Would you agree with me? That's the thing we need. Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. How does a what turn into a reality? When God gives us the mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. When we feel the tension of what I want, but what I can do, we need help. And so that's what it talks about. Approaching, and when we approach the throne of grace, that is the how. It says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. What was the first word? It was a Hebrew word. What was it? Rapha. What did it mean? Show me what it means. Let your hands hang limp by your side. Here's another word. A little bit of a different word. Longer. Parisia. Parisia. And this is a specific kind of confidence. It's translated confidence, and that works. But this is a very specific kind of confidence. I want you to imagine that I am somebody important. Okay, I know that's a stretch. That's a stretch. But imagine I beckon you to come to my office. And you come and I say, permission to speak freely. That's parousia. That's parousia. Parousia is not just somebody coming and having a discussion. 
It's not paresia until you're talking to me. Because I not only call you into my presence, but I ask you, come with confidence in what you know. That means I want you to come, and I don't want you just to sit. I want you to talk with me and speak freely with me. It was the right of a Roman citizen. They had the privilege of paresia. Let's say that this is a public meeting in the streets of Rome. We're debating what we feel about the Roman government. Now, some of you are not Roman citizens, and if you speak up, you're in trouble. This side, you're not Roman citizens. You don't have the right of paresia. So if you speak up, you might find yourself at the business end of a spear. This side, you are Roman citizens. You have paresia. So I say, ah, yeah, 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 and you say, I don't agree, and nobody's going to point a spear at you. Why? Because you have the privilege of paresia. And in a Roman city, that means you have the ability and the right to be able to speak freely. That's what the word confidence means. You don't have to fear censure or reprisal. So what does it mean when God asks us? Well, not asks. He doesn't ask us, does he? He doesn't say, okay, why, if you, if you think about it or if you're comfortable with it, you might approach the throne of grace and maybe speak freely. No. He says, approach the throne of grace with confidence. You're not stuttering. He says, I don't call you into my presence for you just to sit there and button your lip. I want you to speak to me. Come and speak freely. That's what this verse means. And when we come to the throne of grace with confidence, what happens? What do we receive? Mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. I wonder, I wonder if we go through difficulties, not always go through difficulties, but we go through difficulties in our own power because we don't, maybe we haven't even known. We're supposed to approach the throne of grace with paresia. Then we receive mercy and grace to help us in our time of need. We might come to the throne of grace and button our lip because we think, well, I can't say to God what I really think. Is that right? Now, if you're not, if you're not citizens, that's right. But if you're citizens, then he tells you to come to the throne of grace and speak freely. This is what we're told to do. We're commanded to speak freely to God. This might seem strange to many of us. We've learned prayers that are good prayers. Our fathers and Hail Marys, good prayers. I don't think they're a substitute for speaking freely. You can say pattern prayers to God and not tell him what you really think. And that's what he asks us to do. Now, for some of us, that's a difficult thing to learn. So be gentle with yourself. Really, really. Some of us only tell God what we think he wants to hear. And we've always got to thank him for the weather. Even if it's 20 below zero, God, thank you for the day because I don't know what would happen. It'll turn even colder if I don't. Or hotter. <laughs> um, but what he might want to know, 
what you're really thinking. Permission to speak freely. Permission granted. God, I don't like my life. I think I'm supposed to, but I don't. I'm afraid that life has passed me by. To be honest, God, I know I'm supposed to love you, but I'm not really sure if I even like you. I remember I told that to God once. Then I remember it was in college. And I said, you know what, God, you make me nervous. Because when I think you're around, I'm always conscious of what I'm not doing that I should do. And you know what ended up happening? Nothing. I didn't put the lightning rod up. God wants you to speak freely with him, in fact. He demands it. Why is this important? Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence so that we may receive mercy and find grace to help us. Let me tell you about help. It's a nautical term. Nautical, not a nautical term. Nautical, ship, boats, stuff like that. When ships are in a storm and they're in danger of being torn apart, what you would do in those days, you would take a thick rope and you would tie it around the vessel. This was called frapping the vessel. And what frapping the vessel did was allow the vessel to endure the storm without being pulled apart. That is the image of helps. It comes from the word for rope. Let us approach the throne of grace with confidence that we may receive mercy and find grace to frap us in a time of need. You know what life does sometimes? Life threatens to pull us apart. To pull us apart. We want this and we want that. And stormy circumstances feel like they're going to they're pull me in half. And you know what God says? Listen to me. I want you to tell me and speak freely with me about where you are. God, to tell you the truth, I'm in two places. I both like this and I don't. And, I, and, I, and I'm trying to make my life make sense and I can't. And God says, it's good that you told me about that. You know what God's going to give you? And it won't, it'll, it'll end up, it won't feel, it, it's really what he gives you is a rope. To allow you to keep things together in dynamic tension. See, here's the deal. God will not eliminate your tension. He will buttress you so that you can survive it if you speak freely. God fraps. He's good at it. He's good at it. This is the kind of help he provides. 
the help that allows us to endure tension. We find the same image elsewhere in Romans 8.26. It says, in the same way, the Spirit helps us in our weaknesses. Weakness, we do not know what we ought to pray for. But the Spirit himself intercedes for us with groans that words cannot express. When we speak freely, it's saying we don't even know what to ask for. Some of us, we want to pray for exactly the right thing. And God says, I know what you don't need to ask. I know that you don't know what you ought to ask for. Because part of you wants this and part of you wants that. You like the scarecrow and the Wizard of Oz. This way looks good. I think I'll ask God for this. <laughs> God says, I understand that. Speak freely with me. And what he says, the Spirit helps us in our weakness. This is what to help. This is another different image for help. Do you remember the last image for help was we receive mercy and grace to help us, frap us. This is a, this is a, a related term. Let's say that Beth and Micah have problems. Now, this is not the truth because they're sitting together. But let us say that they have real problems and that there is between them, they just, boy, they really want to run away from each other. And, and let Micah represent part of your desires and Beth represent the other part of your desires and your desires are always fighting and they want to separate. Here's what your desires want to do. So here's what it means when it says the Spirit helps us. It's to take two opposing forces and to bring them together. Here's the, here's the image for help. To keep Two opposing forces. Oh, isn't this wonderful? This is what your internal life could look like. Right here. Lovey dovey. No, no, it's not. It, it holds things in dynamic tension. Like the electrons in the nucleus of a cell. They want to pull away from each other, correct? And what is it that keeps them in dynamic tension? It's kind of the way God created it. That's what God does. He doesn't allow us to be tension-free. He allows the tension to remain within contexts that allow it to be tolerable. When we rafa and parisia, that's the condition. Be still. Speak freely. See what's real. Say what's real. And then be still before God. Then speak freely with Him. And He will frap. And He will fuse. And you'll be able to ride through the storm. That's what this verse is indicating. Um, what prevents us from speaking freely? What prevents us from speaking freely? I'm going to suggest three things. Talk about them a little bit, and then we're going to have communion. Three reasons why we don't speak freely. Pretense or hypocrisy. Fear and shame. Pretense, fear, shame. Some of us, we don't speak freely to God because we're used to pretending with Him. To put it bluntly. God, I really like my life. No, you don't. No, you don't. Think he likes pretending? He already knows it. Well, some of us are afraid. What if I told God the truth? 
or some of us are ashamed. I told God what I really thought. I don't know if I could do it. And all of us are somewhere along the line. Here's where God would have you get to. And again, I get this. Some of us, our, our communication with God is not very open. I get that. That is where he wants us to get to. Because that's the place where we receive help. And again, it's a road. It's not going to happen overnight, right? But you've got to know what the destination looks like in order to know where you want to get to. You know where you want to get to, and let's go there together. Let's move in the direction where we can be still before God and speak freely with him, right? That's where we want to get to. Now, we're, not, we're not going to get there overnight. That's fine. Nothing worthwhile is ever easy. It's not easy to learn to be still. If it was, everyone would do it. It's not easy to learn to speak freely. But it is critical spiritually. I want to tell you three things in order to help you deal with pretense, fear, and shame. He wants to tell you what he knows. He wants to tell you who he is. He wants to tell you how he feels. That's when it talks about entering the throne of grace with confidence. If we back up in that verse, we learn some things that help us to do that. Look what it says. The word of God is living and active, sharper than any double-edged sword. It penetrates even to dividing soul and spirit. I'm in Hebrews 4. Joints and marrow judges the thoughts and attitudes of the heart. Nothing in all creation is hidden from God's sight. Everything is uncovered and laid bare before the eyes of him to whom we must give account. Nothing is hidden before God's sight. Everything is uncovered. What does he know? Everything. And if he knows everything, we don't need to pretend. It doesn't make sense to pretend because he already knows it. Right? When we understand what he knows, we don't need to pretend. I don't need to say things that I think he wants to hear. He can see what's under the surface, so say it. Right? Um, that's what he knows. He knows everything, right? When, he understand, when you understand what he knows, you don't need to pretend. And then he talks about who he is. Therefore, we have a great high priest who has gone through the heavens. Jesus, the Son of God, let us hold firmly to the faith we profess. Who is he? He's a great high priest. Let's review. What does he know? Everything. When you understand what he knows, we don't need to pretend. Who is he? He's a great high priest. You know what you need a great high priest for? If you're not a sinner, you don't need a great high priest. High priest exists to bridge holy God with sinful people. So if you're a sinner, you need a high priest. And so who is he? He's a high priest. And if you know what he, who he is, you don't need to be afraid. You don't need to be afraid. That's what he's good at. If you don't have a problem with sin, you don't need a high priest. But you have a great high priest. Therefore, you can speak freely because you don't need to be afraid. Uh, unlike angel, unlike angels, a high priest sympathizes with us. What it says, every high priest, Hebrews 5.1, is selected from among men, is appointed to represent them in matters related to God, to offer gifts and sacrifice for sin. Verse 2, he is able to deal gently with those who are ignorant and are going astray, since he himself is subject to weakness. You know who that's describing, don't you? Jesus. You know why he's good to go to? 
Is he gentle? He understands the pull. Now, he never sinned, but he understands the pull. And what we can do is parousia. We can, in fact, we must parousia. Speak freely with him. Um, that's who he is. Okay, what does he know? What does he know? And we understand what he knows. We don't need to pretend. Who is he? High priest. And when we understand who he is, we don't need to be afraid. And then he tells us how he feels. We do not have a high priest who is unable to sympathize with our weaknesses. But we have one who has been tempted in every way just as we are, yet was without sin. How does he feel? He sympathizes with our weaknesses. How does he feel? He sympathizes with our weaknesses. And when you understand how he feels, you don't need to be ashamed. You don't need to be ashamed. Because he sympathizes with you. Here's the kind of person you need to be quiet before. Here's the kind of person you don't need to be ashamed to speak before. I get it. Done the same thing. You can speak freely to me. That's him. That's God. When you understand, what does he know? Everything. You don't need to pretend. Who is he? The high priest. You don't need to be afraid. How does he feel? He? How does he feel? You don't need to be ashamed. You know what you can do because of pretense, fear, and shame? You can. You know what I'm going to tell you? One's a Hebrew thing and one's a Greek thing. I'm going to tell you to rock them. Be still. And I'm going to tell you to parousia. Speak freely. Because of who he is, what he knows, and how he feels. You get to the throne of grace, and you get trapped, fused. Um, speaking to God, this might seem nice. It's not nice. What I'm describing is not nice. It might seem nice. Necessary. Necessary. Because what it says is approaching the throne of grace with confidence, speaking freely, leads to receiving mercy and find grace to help in time of need. I don't think it's optional. Again, um, last verse, it says, Do not be anxious about anything. But in everything, by prayer and petition with thanksgiving, present your request to God. And the peace of God, which transcends all understanding, will guard your hearts and minds in Christ Jesus. The peace of God is a military force. It, it erects a perimeter. And what it keeps, it, it allows for there to be a balance of thoughts inside that allows your, your mind to remain in Christ Jesus. Without the peace of God erecting a perimeter, can your mind remain in Christ? I don't think so. Therefore, it's not just a nice thing to present your request to God. It's a necessary thing. Necessary thing. Why would you, again, I was going to ask a question, why would we not do that? But I really gave us three reasons, didn't I? There's three reasons why we wouldn't do that. Pretense, fear, and shame. And he 
takes those away by what he knows, who he is, and how he feels. Do it. Come to the throne of grace with confidence. A, C, T, S. We're going to move to T and S over the next week. JC's up next week. He's going to talk about transformation. Mark is going to talk about strength. This is the what. The how is critical. A and C is the how. Authenticity and confidence. You know what communion is about? It's about focusing on Jesus. So here's what we're going to do. Because the Father sends the Son. The Father and the Son collaborate with one another. Some of us feel safe with Jesus, but not with the Father. It's crazy. (laughs) They're the same. The Father dispatches the Son so that we would have a basis upon which to be able to approach the throne of grace, Him, with confidence. Because understanding that He is... So here's what we'll do. I want you to take the bread and the cup, and here's what I want you to think about. I want you to think about what He knows and who He is and how He feels. And think about, hmm, I can come to the throne of grace and Rafa be still and speak freely because of those things. So we're going to have music. Grab the elements. I'm not going to tell you when to partake of them, but think about Christ and his death and what that says about the commitment of God to you. And then partake of the elements and then we'll close with the song. Pray for us, Father, thank you for your care and you would have us understand that.